0: My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Mark about Westmarch's games, running DM courses, and of course, about Game Master Engine, a 3D virtual tabletop. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have Mark, the community manager for Game Master Engine. Welcome, Mark.
1: Hello. Hello. Nice to be here.
0: Nice to meet you as well. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space?
1: Well, long story, long stories. So actually, I started in with tabletop role-playing. I think I grew up with stuff like Eye of the Beholder on the Amiga and this kind of old, very old d d like computer games. And I always had a fascination for role-playing games and for fantasy specifically and then i started playing when i was about 15 or so i started playing one i'm from germany so i started playing one german copycat thing basically of dnd which is called Sauge, the black eye i don't know if that's popular or not but we played that only for a little bit of time then i didn't play tabletop games for a long long time but played a lot of other fantasy stuff and did a lot of other fantasy stuff creatively and this kind of stuff and then Came back to d and I don't know, seven years ago or so, and then really started getting into it. Started off right as a game master and yeah, haven't stopped since, so.
0: And what system do you primarily play in nowadays?
1: Nowadays, I primarily play in D&D 5, though a lot of stuff that I play is heavy, heavily homebrewed. Because I think D&D 5 is a great system if you tweak it. And it's great to tweak. It's easy to tweak, you know? but of course there's other systems for specific stuff that you want to do which might be better for that specific stuff i like the versatility of the nd5 what kind of of
0: tweaks do you make to your game
1: so for example often we play adaptations of of other franchises and stuff so then you would tweak the, the the content actually so a friend of mine ran a naruto style game and then tweaked this uh, accordingly another friend of mine ran a final fantasy dnd 5 game and we tweaked that accordingly another friend of mine started a harry potter version of the dnd 5 which i wrote a lot of spells for which was actually very fun so yeah that's the the one thing these franchises and then the other thing is i play a lot in so called west marches games or pool games where there's like maybe 5 to 15 dungeon masters and Twenty to a hundred players, maybe more, and that's super cool, but that needs heavy tweaking for sure in order to, because D and D five is not made for that; it's made for campaigns.
0: I've talked about West Marches a little bit in the past, and one of the things I think for any system with a West Marches game is you almost need a lot of downtime systems and a lot yes. of systems that help coordinate the game masters and the players outside of the actual system that's being used to to be played do you run some of those games
1: yes so I, i run west marches server right now i used to run a very big west marches project nowadays i run a little bit smaller one which is more centered around friends playing with friends basically but still even there we are like i think well it depends on activity of the people but Somewhere between fifty and hundred people, you know, it depends on the season and everything. And even there, you need a lot of yeah tools to help cooperating. You need rules for this kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's 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 rather complex. And as you say, you need stuff that helps people to be engaged in between the games, like downtime.
0: Yeah, and then that seems to be one of the biggest hurdles for putting one of those together. Is there's just a lot of prep work that needs to be set up before you can really have a good system for people to play. I, probably more so, especially if they're random people from the internet. If it's a group of friends, then that's probably a little bit easier to manage.
1: Yes, it's true. I think the biggest hurdle with these kind of games is actually the social, the social dimension that comes with it, you know, because in the start everybody says like, hey, this sounds cool, I want to try that. But then opinions evolve and some people want it to be harder, some people want it to be softer, some people want it to be more lore heavy. Some people want more creative freedom. Some people think the items are overpowered. Other things, the items are underpowered. You know, and coordinating that diversion to something that is becomes convergent at some point. I think that is one of the biggest hurdles if you play with more than twenty people in that way.
0: Do you do anything specific to coordinate that, or do you just have like a? Here are the general guidelines for the server. So if you, if you like how the server is set up, great, stick around. If not, then you might need to find another server. How does that look?
1: Well, I wish I had found the perfect solution, but uh, it's harder than, than, than people think, I think. I think it requires a constant effort. Obviously, for, first of all, you need base rules, not game rules, but base rules of what, what do we even want to play? You know, what is this supposed to be? what we're playing here is this supposed to be a living world is this supposed to be having fun after work is this supposed to be high fantasy low fantasy blah 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 you know what tone should it have and everything like that and once you have that set up then people have a possibility to decide do i want to partake in that or not and but from there on it takes constant effort constant you know speaking to people Asking them, hey, how do you feel about these changes? This is what, what what we want to propose. This is what the other group proposes. You know, you would start become you would start having subgroups emerging. At some sometimes that can even get kind of political. You know, not real life political, but like then there will be some that want to play more progressively and some that want to play more traditionally. For example, so yeah, I think having a good team is is the key having a good team who, that understands the vision that you want to run and helps doing so and helps, you know, resolving conflict. Because most of the time is what you do is resolve conflict. Oh, this player tried to rob me. This player tried to, I don't know, get one mean to me. Yeah, That's funny.
0: You also mentioned that you do DM courses. Can you talk yes. a
1: little bit about that? Okay, yeah. So what I do is oftentimes I run DM courses basically for newer DMs. So I do this on the German D&D community. We are the biggest German D&D server. And I think one of the biggest pen and papers, so the biggest tabletop RPG servers in Germany, one of them, one of three or so. And so we get a lot of new players. So I often try to engage these new players and try to get them to become DMs, which is hard, obviously. So I do courses with them, both like one-on-one workshops where they can basically ask questions and they tell me like well i envisioned that there is three goblins making an ambush here and then i listen to that and give them a little bit of insight while trying to preserve their vision of course you know but then i also do like courses in groups like how to operate let's say roll 20 or foundry or game master engine for that instance you know and then i also do group courses specifically on playing NPCs and doing voice acting and this kind of stuff.
0: That's really cool. Is that all volunteer or do you charge for that service?
1: So on the German server, I typically do that for free in a limited scope. So, you know, if there is at least, let's say, 10 people interested, and I would not do it more often than once every two weeks or so, you know? And then a lot of people have the possibility to go there and to engage and to have fun, learn something. If I go outside of that, I would either charge people. So then I would have a model like, for example, let's say the course costs $50 or so, but it's split among all people that participate. So if you bring 10 people, it's five bucks for everyone, you know? Or on like donation days where people can just give what they think is appropriate.
0: Sure. Well, that's pretty cool. It, that does seem like a time or a, a decent time commitment to be doing big sessions like that. So,
1: Yeah, it is, definitely. I mean, I have most of the stuff prepared and everything, but still, you know, people might have very specific questions. And I don't want to tell them like, oh, hours are now over. Bye-bye. You know, sometimes it right. takes longer and everything and they have questions. Mm-hmm.
0: So what, what material do you go over with
1: people who go through one of these courses? Depends on the course, obviously. For the voice acting, I have a whole list of material that I go over. So it's basically a crash course in voice acting. So it goes over voices. It goes over speech, because bigger part than the voices is actually the speech, you know, how you speak. It goes over word choice. It goes over why you would want to voice act, why it would make sense to, for what would you use that, you know, the actual application as a DM. For example, you might have a dialogue with yourself which is much more interesting if it's voice acted than if it's narrated you know but also you can you can you can shift the player's attention you can even shift the player's attitude towards npcs without directly telling them this guy is evil this guy's arrogant this is in this this ruin is interesting you can do a lot of stuff just by how you present something present an npc present a location whatever yeah so that Easily covers one and a half hours. And then normally we also have like dialogues, training dialogues going on where people then try these training dialogues that are pre-written and try to act them in different voices. And then I will give them feedback and tell them what they might do better, what they, you know, just tips and tricks here and there. And for the for the DM courses, it's basically for, for the VTT courses, it's like Roll20 Foundry and so on, I, I tell them the basics. How, how do you make the your first adventure in Roll20, let's say? or your first adventure in Game Master Engine. What can the program do? What can it not do? What do you need to prepare? How does a basic adventure look even, you know? Don't overdo it, this kind of stuff. Don't prepare for six hours. If you want to play the first time with your three friends who never played the indie before, go with something small. And then for the one-on-one sessions, it's completely, it's completely up to the person. They basically get one hour of my time, that's it. They can ask whatever they want.
0: Sure, that makes sense. That's, it sounds like that crash course especially on the voice acting would be beneficial to me because I think voice acting is probably my weakest skill as far as a dungeon master goes. So
1: and, and it's, it's definitely right. a skill, it's not a talent. So it's something you can definitely learn.
0: For sure. You mentioned game masters engine, so now might be a great time to chat a little bit about that project.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: Do you just um, want to give us like the elevator pitch of game master's engine and then we'll go in and pick it apart a little bit more
1: okay let's do that so game master engine is basically a 3d vtt so if you know stuff like roll 20 and these other vtt's it's basically something like that but in 3d that means you it's both a map maker and a vtt so you can open the program you can make your own maps from little battle maps let's say on a small forest encounter to huge landscapes and uh, kilometers or miles wide with, I think the biggest map that has been built is four miles in all directions until now. So that's really big. So you can build these maps. You can create them in all kinds of different flavors, all kinds of different biomes and whatever you want to do, get recreative with it. You can then also place uh, minis and tokens and everything on the map for like say encounters and monsters and that kind of stuff. And then you can invite the players over They don't need to buy the game, actually. They can use the free version for that. And then they can connect to your game and you play together on that map, basically. Or on these maps. You can obviously prepare more than one map. So then it becomes like, yeah, very much like Roll20 or so, but it's still in 3D. And a big difference is everything is still modifiable even while you're playing. So, for example, if the players pick a flower, I might delete that flower or pick it, you know, if they chop down a tree, I can put that tree to its side and then they chop down the tree and they see the result of that. So that's, that's one of the bigger differences, I think, to the two DVTTs where they normally have a map and that map is what is there. End of story, you know?
0: Yeah. I'm thinking of like a roll 20 or owlbear rodeo or something where, I mean, once you put the map on, it's just the map, unless you upload individual images for yes. props and stuff.
1: Yes. And that means you can only pick up the flower, you can only pick the flower, obviously in fantasy you can, in, in, in imag- imagination, but you can only pick the flower if you put it there to be picked. And that's not the case in Game Master Engine. You can interact with anything. Because it's, it's never a flat image. It's never an image. It's always single objects that you can interact with.
0: When You, you mentioned the like campaign maps that are really huge. Is that... Is that just, are those the same as like a smaller battle map where you can zoom in all the way to like the tree level and like move minis and stuff around? Or is it actually like a different scale of map?
1: Mm, okay. So there are two modes of maps. So you can make hex maps where the hex are typically, hexes are typically bigger than squares, you know, so you can have a larger landscape in that sense. You can also make square maps where you have squares as the, as the basis, um, but with both, you can either make very small maps or very big maps. And the, those maps I'm talking about, they're not overview maps. It's not like there are little trees and then stylized houses here and there to signify that there's a village. What I'm talking about is a map that is both an overview, if you zoom out very much, but is also the game, the playing map, if you zoom in very much. So the, the, those four miles I was talking about are actually four miles if a mini is about two meters high, you know?
0: Sure, so it's it's like plopping your game or your, your miniatures down into like the Skyrim map and just being able to go anywhere without ever very, leaving the map.
1: Very much so. And I mean, if the players eventually come to the edge, well, then you can load a new map, but it, you know, but that really depends on the playstyle. I've seen a lot of people who use overview maps, and then they switch to specific maps like you would traditionally do. I've seen other people who run on very large maps. So yeah, you have very much freedom there to pick the pick the style that you want. There's no right yeah, or
0: wrong. It would really depend on the the gameplay as a game master being able to just have, as far as prep goes, just. Prepping the small battle maps that you need would be a lot easier, but it would be really cool if you had a very sandbox game to just have an entire world, essentially, that you can, can play in.
1: Yes, and the cool thing about it is you can change it afterwards. In principle, it's even possible if I run a game, let's say, it's even possible that you run another game with your five players in my game on the same map, on the other edge of the map or whatever
0: right how many concurrent players can be on a map at a time
1: i don't think we ever limited it so that is something you would have to ask the steam servers (laughs) but i guess many so we didn't try yet but (laughs) many
0: until the server crashes
1: okay (laughs) well it's it's a server that is uh, by, by the way these servers they are hosted by steam for you so you don't need to host anything and that means, well, they have very strong servers, obviously. Yeah, I know. wouldn't
0: expect it would be easy to crash their yes. servers. Yes. So, in regards to the West Marches game, you could have an entire West Marches campaign with multiple groups potentially playing in different areas at the same time.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: That's pretty cool. I don't know that I've seen another VTT that could support something like that. So, that definitely is unique.
1: Yeah, that's nice. What I can definitely say is that all, uh, I mean, at least the 2D VTTs will not be able to support it because they use rendered images and that makes those maps very huge. If you wanted to have such a big map, that would be a JPEG of enormous yeah. extent. <laughs> While this, this, this four mile by four mile map I was talking about, it's not four miles actually. It's, I think, 16,000 feet. So that might be something around four miles or so. That map is 300 kilobytes big. Wow. yeah, Because you have everything installed on your computer already. You know, you download it, you have everything. It's just a list of what what is where. You can play this with with a mobile phone connection if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I was just thinking about, like you said, the larger your images get for, you know, 2D map. I mean, there's a limit to how much, to what size you can even upload to most of those Mm -hmm. uh, and what the browser can display. But yeah, when you have all of the assets, all of the 3D models installed on your computer, I mean, that takes up space. But then the map setup itself is just a collection of here, these assets are at these coordinates yes. and at this this angle and whatever.
1: Exactly.
0: And then it's all rendered locally, I assume, to whatever yes. that player is viewing. So they're not rendering the entire map at once. They're rendering their whatever they're looking at.
1: Yeah, well, uh, right now they're rendering more or less the entire map at once. They, <laughs> so we're using Unreal Engine, and Unreal Engine has, has built-in stuff for that. So, for example, if a tree is very far away, it will not render the highest quality texture of that tree oh, because you don't yeah. see that anyways. But there's definitely, I mean, there's also room for, there's always room for optimization of, you know, the, the graphics and the uh, both stability and, uh, what's called, the speed of the graphics. Luckily, right now, it's very, very stable. That is really cool. We, all, we have almost no crashes reported in. But obviously, you need you don't need a super, super strong PC. You can have a normal laptop, no problem. But obviously, you cannot play this on a complete potato. Yeah. That's the downside. But you can't play Foundry either on a complete potato. Yeah, so
0: Yeah. Yeah, for being a 2D engine, Foundry does seem to take a decent amount of processing power. <laughs> yes. And so you mentioned that the players can play for free so um Mm -hmm. i downloaded game master engine i haven't i've i've been in it for like five minutes is about all i was able to look at it Um, Mm -hmm. but you do have a i guess it's technically like an in-game purchase or whatever for or dlc content for the game master what does that all have i assume that's just like additional assets and that sort of a thing
1: no, no. So how it works is basically you can have the the free version and with that you can play. You can also create maps. So it's right now it's limited to one map. We might, might open that a little bit so you can make more maps. doesn't really matter to us. So you can build in the free version and you have almost all the assets. So we're not, t- it's not like, I don't know with, with many other versions, where you have a small pack of assets and then you can buy other ones. Instead you have almost all the assets the only limitation is that you cannot host for others okay. with that player version. And if you buy the DLC, which is the game master version, then basically you get some assets additionally, but that's not what it's about, but the ability to host for others. Yeah. And then for these kinds of in-game purchases, I know that this, that is always a big topic right now. We're not planning on doing any kinds of in-game purchases instead when we update new content you get it for free that's it you bought it once you get it for free end of story
0: that's really cool i, I definitely appreciate having the basic you know player version be free cuz that's always a a yeah. hang up on using a system like this if everybody in the group has to spend you know 20 bucks to get something then the likelihood that all of them end up doing it is is a lot lower so you know yeah having the we- whoever is running it can just get the get what they want and run it it's great.
1: Yes. So uh, we, we thought about that quite a big deal obviously. And uh, this way, I mean, we're not making the the most amount of money possible that we could. But on the other hand, it always annoyed us that this, you know, either I have something where I need to buy, let's let's say, I don't know, for example, but many many others cost like $20 per person, something like that. So that sounds less But it's actually, actually if we're talking about five people, let's say playing together, that's 100 bucks. So either everybody spends $20, that might be super awkward for people because some people can afford that easily and some cannot, you know? But on the other hand, I I had this situation, for example, that I was playing in a campaign, the DM wanted to use Tailspire. And he said, well, can you afford that? And some of in our group said, no, I cannot afford that easily. And then he said, well, no problem. I'm just going to buy it for you. Which is nice of that DM. Obviously, it's very nice, but again, that was awkward for that player, you know.
0: Right, there's that social, like social economic, yes. status or, or weird, weird interaction. Yeah, and it's not, it's not fun as a, as a DM either to be put on the spot to say, I either have to tell this person that they can't play in my game, or I have to find a different system, or I have to spend my money to make it so that they can play with us which is is equally as hard you know so yeah yeah, i Mm -hmm. I definitely like the pricing model and it's it's also awesome that you give most of the assets to even the players version as well so Mm -hmm. that's super cool good to hear that how long has game master engine been in development
1: so i think we're now a little bit older than one year that is long for I mean it's still it's still officially tagged as early access. that is long for an early access game that is absolutely clear. but on the other hand, we want to deliver a good product, you know. And making a VTT because there is so many different aspects to it, you know we we cannot even anticipate what people might try to do and might try to accomplish with a VTT. So that takes a lot of time. So it has been in in development for a bit. But it's also a big task. And actually, development right now is rather quick. So every two or so months, there's a relatively major update that comes with, not like, well, you get one new function, but you get five big new functions, something like that. So luckily, that works out for now.
0: How does Game Master Engine work with like systems like D&D or is there any form of like character sheet integration or anything like that
1: Mhm no so yes and no in that way we decided for game master engine to not to to be system agnostic and we thought about you know integrating character sheets and so on but there's multiple things about it first of all if character sheets were so easy in general then D&D beyond wouldn't have spent millions and years on it the character sheets, even though if that's you know, it, to to I think to the normal user, it seems like character sheet cannot be so it cannot be so hard. It must be way harder to make a 3D environment than a character sheet. But those tasks are so completely different from each other. Right. Character sheets are actually quite complicated to make, especially if you want to do it right, you know. And what you, however, what you can do. Is you have a you have a browser in the game. We are now updating the browser to to a more stable version, and with that version, you will be able to open, let's say, D and D Beyond or anything like that directly in the game. So you can open it, play with it, or you might use any other service that you want to open a PDF or whatever. Sure. Yeah.
0: And that we are actually... also
1: planning on introducing Beyond Twenty into that as well. But That's that pretty
0: cool. I, I would have thought of just. Having an embedded browser in the game, but the fact that you can just open one up and then use whatever system or character sheet, you know, online tools that you're used to, you just have them right there in the game without having to, you know, flip between the game and some other screen or
1: something. Yeah, the the thing about that is so one the the reason that we didn't go and you know try to tackle that first now is simply because even right now the so this browser update will hopefully come in the next version, in the next update. But for now, what do I when I play with Roll20 and d Beyond, which a lot of people do that play online anyways, it's just the same. I tap in and out of Roll20 or tap in and out of Foundry. Why wouldn't I do the same with, with Game Master right. Engine? Just tap in and out or use two screens, you know? And since the game is already running in a windowed mode, I mean, you, you don't see it looks full screen, but technically it's... a maximized window you know tabbing in and out is not a strain on the cpu or anything so that's the way that most people play right now that use the game
0: right and leaving it system agnostic then allows people to use it for other systems besides fifth edition D as well that's one of the other challenges i think with when you start integrating character sheets is and it's like well how many character sheets do you do how many game systems do you support
1: yeah it's unending it's just unending the, the, one of the ways we could imagine is adding support for players to make their own character sheet. types, you know, like somebody makes a five E sheet and then uploads it, and then everybody can use it. But we're not there yet, so that is definitely something that would need rather careful planning, if and it the, even comes. So
0: it gets complex when you're creating a, a system generic enough to allow people to come in and, and essentially script their own. Yes. You know, character sheets and formulas and stuff. Yes. Uh, is there a digital dice in the yes. engine?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. There's digital there. dice and, you know, dice rolling commands and everything. So you can do all normal stuff in chat if you don't want to use, let's say, DD Beyond or if you want to be on paper or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Just having those dice there so that everybody can see them is, is handy. Are there any other features about Game Master Engine that you'd like to mention?
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess millions. Let me think, let me think. So my personal favorite is the, you know, as I said, the that the world stays moldable when you play, that you can change stuff while it's running, you know? Another cool thing is that you, we had to disable this for the last update, but it's coming back now that you can, it's, it's already been finished actually, that you can build together. So you and me, we could log in onto the same map and build together, which is, I think, quite nice. Especially if you want to have these large maps, you know. I'm I'm not going to fill my MMO-style map alone. It's, it takes <laughs> ages. But if you, if you do it with three or four players, I mean, look at Minecraft, what people accomplish, if there are right. ten of them, you know. It's amazing. Yes. Another thing is, yeah, there is obviously, uh, there is help for combats. There is an initiative tracker. There is status condition markers that you can put on the minis and this kind of stuff. All of that is relatively easy. And in general, I would say, we try to strive both for, so we go a little bit more in in the direction of a realistic, um, how it's called, realistic graphics. So that's maybe not what you see if you open it for the first five minutes, but there's a lot of realistic assets and you can build very realistic stuff. And the other thing is we try to go for maximum freedom for for the players or the map creators. So if something is, we we will not stop players from doing shenanigans as, lo- as long as it doesn't break the game. So lately, for example, I had a lighthouse, which, you know, has this kind of revolving light on the model, and I flattened it so it was, so you can change the, the dimensions of the objects per dimension. You can say, you can change only the height if you want, or only the width, for example. So I flattened it so it had zero height, which which most programs wouldn't even allow. And I turned it on his side and used it as a clock on the wall because it still had that revolving light. Sure. Many programs will stop you from doing shenanigans like that. And our philosophy is to not stop you from doing that. As long as it doesn't crash the game, cool, be creative with it.
0: So I noticed that when I was playing around with it, that when I was placing like walls and stuff that I could clip them against like together, like they weren't just like stamping in Mm. predefined spots. Like it was just exactly where you put it down. And with your freedom thing, I I appreciated that. I mean, I, in certain circumstances, if I'm just building something quick, I would like to have stuff snapped together. But then for very specific things, it's nice to be able to allow objects to clip together so you can get the right lengths and stuff. I think we see that a lot with, like, if you're familiar with Fallout 4 and the building system that they mm-hmm. have in there, it's pretty pretty rigid. And then all of the really cool builds that people do are either modded or use these weird glitches to let you just place things inside of other things. And that lighthouse example was a good example of that too, where you're, yeah, it's kind of weird in terms of the game engine, but you're still using that model or whatever to make something different that didn't really previously exist. So you can kind of hack things together, which is I would rather have that option than not have that
1: option. Yeah. So basically, in Game Master Engine, that is standard mode. So you can just push, I don't know, a rock into another rock. It even has procedural text, not procedural. Yeah. It it has these, these textures, specific textures, so that when you put two rocks of the same texture into each other, they look like one rock because the texture is is actually in the world and the objects just move through that texture. Oh, sure. So then it looks like out of one piece, you know. But there is also snapping and this kind of stuff. So you can activate Z-snapping, which makes objects snap to the ground, or minis, let's say. And in that way, for example, a lot of people have now by now started building maps that don't rely on the ground at all. Everything you walk on is objects. And that is actually even good for the performance. Because in Unreal, every object is an object. That means every little tile is just the same as a big rock because it's one object. Not the same, but, you know. And that means a lot of people now, you know, build landscapes and mountains and everything just out of rocks. And since the mini can just stick on top of it, easy, no problem. At the same time, you can also, you know, you can activate the grid and snap to the grid if you want that for easy build, let's say a dungeon. If you want to not spend forever to build that dungeon, just put on the grid snapping. And then snap, 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 the walls snap together.
0: Does the system have any sort of like templates or pre-generated content or procedural content? So you could jump in and just like load up a map and just start editing it? Or are they so all it, from scratch?
1: It doesn't have a procedural content or anything like that. So it doesn't do anything for you, the game. But we have started making a collection, which you can find on our Discord server, of maps that other people made. and. Of, of which they are willing were willing to give these maps away and happy to share them actually. And that is also true for the maps that won our mapping contests and everything. so you can download these maps easily and just use them in your own game and most of the time that will also help you get the hang of the game, you know see what other people did and how they did it. And additionally in general you can just share maps with each other. Just I, I can zip up a map I made and send it to you and you can use it and play with it. So we hope if that, you know, if people do that more, I mean, I'm not making, if, if I use Roll20, I'm not making every map I use. Who does that? It takes forever. Most people just Google some maps, let's be honest, you know? Yeah. And obviously here, you cannot simply Google GME maps, but why not? I mean, we could do that. You know, we could definitely provide a platform that when you Google that, you find our collection. And I think that would make a lot of sense.
0: Right. Especially if people
1: are happy to supply it to that collection.
0: Right. Uh, just having the map sharing so that, you know, because you you'll always with any of these systems, you'll always have people who, you know, fall in love with the system and then they just want to make tons of maps. Right. And then uh-huh. as long as you have a way to share them and they can provide those to people, you have a spot on your discord for people to share. Yeah, I, that's really cool. Because if it's I think a lot of times starting from completely blank canvas can be a little intimidating.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Um, but having something at least visual to say, oh, you know, here's some things I can do. I can tweak this a little bit and then it's perfect. It's a lot easier yeah. to jump in that way.
1: Definitely. And that is that is something that we that we definitely want to work on and we are working on it right now, is to improve the ac- accessibility of the game for newcomers. Because obviously something like, like Game Master Engine, I mean, it's easy, you know, the, the game is easy. It's easy for me. but I know it already you know it might be hard for somebody who is completely new and they didn't try it out and they don't don't want to try it out for 10 hours until they get to the results they want so we are definitely putting a lot of effort right now into tutorials which we already gave right now putting those tutorials in the game giving tutorial maps giving tutorial videos giving all this kind of stuff because you know again it's easy it's not actually a high learning curve but It's a complex program. It's the same as if we say, like, you know, Blender is relatively easy for a 3D program. But 3D (laughs) programs in general are complicated. Right. Photoshop is complicated, you know? And in that way, we try to make it as easy and accessible as we can. We're very happy for input on that as well. But it's a complex program that can do a lot of stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, the more tools that you can give new people to get them... Up and running fast. I mean, that's probably one of the easiest ways to lose people is if you don't have those those tools available. Is then you know you jump in, you play with it for ten minutes, and you're like, oh, this is super complicated. I'll just go back yeah, to using absolutely. something yeah. that's easier. You know,
1: absolutely. That's that's what we what we encountered in the past, definitely, and that's why we want to counteract that because you know if you get past a certain point, it's not it's it's never a problem. But getting past that certain point can be intimidating for some people. Um, But yeah, with the the tutorials that we added now, they already help a lot from what we received as feedback.
0: So switching gears a little bit, do you run a lot of your games in the Game Master Engine?
1: By now, yes. We have a community game started now on the Game Master Engine Discord. In, In general, I would say one of the also important features, if you want, in that way, is the good community on the server. So there's a lot of people there. They do stuff together. Everybody can, you know, give their feedback, give their support, ask for ask questions, ask for features. We also have volunteers, you know, volunteering and helping out with the program and this kind of stuff or doing all kinds of stuff for it, which is really cool and we really appreciate that. And thank you to all volunteers listening, <laughs> if any. But, yeah, we also have a community game there, which is a kind of, like, very generic open pool game thing almost like one of these west marches games but way way easier you know way simpler simplified and yeah we use game master engine for that all the time and also in private i use it very much because i'm not that out automatization type of dm anyways so i don't really care that i cannot i don't know calculate the dragon's breath under disadvantage in the third semester of whatever, you know,
0: (laughs) I I like the idea of having that community game. That's probably a good way for people to come in and test out the system too and see it run, Yes. how it handles an actual game. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And it already gave us a lot of of input as well.
0: Uh, User testing is great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically it's user testing and the people have fun while doing so. So yeah, good deal for them. Good deal for us.
0: Cool. I think we're getting pretty close to our time here. So is there, is there any other topics either about running games or about Game Master Engine itself that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um,
1: I think an interesting topic can be why to even use 3D engines? Because I think that, is, that eludes a lot of people. Why would I even use that? You know, If I, I want to play, let's say, D&D, I want to play a pen paper game, I don't want to play a computer game. And that's very understandable to me if you actually do, you know, if you do use theater of mind and this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, you know, a lot of games being run online, especially in foundry are already like computer games in that way, you know, Mm -hmm. because if I if I, if I have dynamic lighting and fog of war and doors that, that I can open and close with a mouse click, we are effectively talking about a computer game, you know, and so in, in, in that way, I think, I think what is important to understand there is that something like Game Master Engine is still a tool, and it's not meant to be a game onto itself. Have you ever played anything like that? Anything 3D in that way?
0: That was more of a tool? or
1: No, no, in, in or... general. Uh, I mean, not 3D games like a 3D game, but yeah, VTTs or something like that.
0: So I haven't actually used any 3D VTTs yet. Pretty much all of the games that I've either played in or run have been two D.
1: Mm-hmm. That is that's definitely something that we want to try to understand better why people might you know use this or not use this, so we can cater to those people.
0: Yeah, so I guess thinking of my experience, probably the closest experience I've had is messing around with tabletop simulator, mm-hmm. and for me, the controls and stuff of like that just feel like really clunky. And it just feels like it's more difficult to play the game or to to play anything in it than, you know, being at like a physical table or having a dedicated, you know, digital version of whatever you're doing. That's probably my main hang up. And then as far as a DM, I just haven't, I haven't dipped my toes into 3D VTTs yet just because it's, it's tends to be more prep than what it takes to prep like a 2D map. But like you mentioned, I have foundry and there's a lot of setup that you can do. You can in, do the map and then you can got to draw all the walls and the doors and then, the, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. lighting. And you stuff end up and with that. something
1: comparable, actually. Yeah, it, time-wise, it
0: ends up, Yeah, I, I would, I, like I said, I haven't done a 3D one, but with foundry, you're already getting like the amount of time it takes to prep a map can be fairly high depending on how big your map is and, and yeah, at that rate, if you can just do it in three D with about the same effort, then why not?
1: Yeah, I can definitely I can say something about that. So when I started with Game Master Engine using it, I did maps on you know Incarnate and Dungeon Draft and blah 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 and map makers before. It took me about twice as long to come up with an adequate map. You know, not going crazy on detail and flowers on flowers. You know, but normal playable. But by now, it's just The same, it takes the same time amount for me to make a 3D map than to make a 2D map, which I found astounding, because it was you know that was not was I what I expected as a user, but it really comes down to that our brains think in 3D, you know, so actually for something like Game Master Engine you can be even less artistic than for something like Dungeon Draft or Incarnate or any of these map makers, so I found that very interesting.
0: That is interesting, but that does make sense because when you're doing something in two d you almost have to translate the you have to translate what what would it be in three d yep. now to two d in a way that on whatever map you're making both looks good and makes sense because it you know it is in in terms of your gameplay you're technically playing in a three d space yes. but you're 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 viewing it only in 2D. So yes. there's some weird, there's some weird translation there a little bit. And I guess now that I think about that, you mentioned dungeon draft and I've used that as well. And one of the things that I think about in dungeon draft is it's like, Oh, should I put all of this like random, you know, scatter, you know, stuff or items or objects on it, or should I just leave it blank so that I can add that in, you know, separate so that it can be interactable. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's, that's difficult with 2D engines and you said that with the 3D engine it's just as easy as, you know, modifying it or deleting that object in real time and that's not easy to do in a ver- or in a in a 2D setup so yeah, then most true. of most of my 2D prep then becomes okay find the person online that makes the nicest maps that I like that work for me and then I just use that but then there's less you know there's no tweaking involved then
1: yeah but because that's that's one of the things if i get the 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 great maps that i don't know Sepeku or these these great map makers you know that are what they make and i get one of their maps super cool but now there's this one bush you know you know you probably know that feeling there's this one bush or that one cannon which is not supposed to be there and i have to tell the players no there is no bush even if you see it there's this is one stairs or whatever you know or the the carpet or the one lever that you don't know what to do with because the map comes it as it is, you know? And here you don't have that problem. You don't like that tree? Just get rid of the tree.
0: It's always like a random skeleton. Like, oh, why, why did somebody die here? Oh, no, the skeleton doesn't exist. Just pretend he's not. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about, yes. <laughs> and I think that's not a general thing. In, it doesn't really depend on 2D or 3D. It's rather like you have to imagine. It's like if, as if you were playing in Dungeon Draft. If the players could move their minis in Dungeon Draft, right, you know, that's what does it,
0: right? Where you could go in and actually like delete pieces of it as mm-hmm. needed, but that's not the flow that you get in Dungeon Draft. Yes, you're, you know, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. You, I may have to start trying more 3D virtual tabletops now because you you may have changed my mind on it. Well, not that I really had my mind made up before. I just had never used them so. More of a reason to try them.
1: Yeah. Come over and play together.
0: (laughs) No problem. I'll have to jump over to your server and get in on a game.
1: And Yeah, and there's one thing I should say as well. In general, I would not necessarily compare those two, 3D and uh, 2D. They do different things. When you play in 2D, it creates something different. It makes the world less tangible, which can be good or bad. You know, I mean, we're playing pen and paper. We're playing a pen and paper game, a, t- a tabletop RPG game, instead of running around in the real world and actually hitting ourselves with or hitting each other with sticks. So that level of abstraction can actually be a good thing, you know, in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and here, when you go from 2D to 3D, you're basically making stuff more concrete. So there, there really is that tree in the distance, and there really is that hill in the distance, and there's no question about it. So you're giving, and there really is a tower in the distance, and the play, and you cannot tell to the players if they if they look around and they say, "What do you see around us?" Then it's up to me, in a two D, it's up to me to tell them if there is a tower outside of the map where they can see it, or there is not. Here they definitely see the tower. So you're giving away control, but you're also giving the players freedom to act on information that is not pre-filtered by your narrate, your narration. You know, and that's a that's a that has upsides and downsides, and I think that is what makes it so interesting. I like it because I like this open gameplay. I like it when my players are free. I like to be surprised, but that's not true for everybody. So you
0: know, yeah, it's a sliding scale between like complete theater of the mind, and then also like complete concreteness, uh-huh. um, and you can be anywhere in the middle. And even with something like this, you could also. You know, in that scenario, like, do I see a tower or something in the distance? I mean, maybe it doesn't exist in the game yet. And you can make the decision to say, you know, yes, you do. And now, you know, now we got to go build that tower. Exactly. Right? Either as part of the session or as, as future prep or something. So you you can still have those levels of concreteness versus abstract.
1: It just depends on your, your map size. You know, if you make that map, which is so extremely enormous, people are gonna expect that what they see is what they see but if your map is only 40 by 40 they don't expect the world to end there obviously right right say okay it's an abstraction
0: cool well i think i think we there's been a lot of really good information and discussion here so very excited about that uh, I think that would be a good time to wrap up and go ahead and plug either yourself for online and also the Game Master's Engine
1: social. Okay, so yeah. So my name is Mark. You can also find find me as Cyril, but not much to say about that. If you happen to be German, uh, come over to the German D&D server. I'm going to say that in German now. Die deutschsprachige D&D5-Community, which is the biggest German server on... Uh, d and you can easily find it by using google and if if not but you're interested in game master engine there we are on steam is it's easy to find us on steam as game master engine we also have a reddit which is easy to find as game master engine again we also have an instagram account which is easy to find as game master engine again and yeah we have a youtube channel as well but it's uh, needs to needs a little bit of updates luckily our great volunteers are working on that and yeah obviously we have our discord channel maybe that can come into the i don't know, description of that podcast here whatever yeah but the discord channel is really the way to engage with us and that's the the way to actually meet us so you can if you come to the discord channel you can talk to our lead programmers you can talk to me for example and there's no writing 70 letters and 60 formulas or whatever just come and meet us we are very very open to actually meet you guys and girls and everything yeah
0: awesome thank you mark so much for being on the podcast
1: thank you for inviting me was a lot of fun thanks
0: for listening to this week's episode of the dungeon masters toolkit podcast you can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.